Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. is March 2022 and here we go first slide so my book hit Amazon bestseller for a bit I think we've got the the audiobook version up if you guys want to check it out the journey to simple passive cash flow check it out on Amazon Google Play if you guys are coming on now feel free to drop a comment below even if you're watching this in replay we play this on the podcast on the YouTube channel, and it also goes live in our Facebook groups where a lot of some of the comments and questions will be coming from. A little bit of background on myself. I have a wife, child, a dog, and a green raptor. Grew up here in Hawaii, went to Seattle for a long time, too long, became an engineer, but then I finally got found the way to quit that by buying rental properties, which we educate people today at Simple Passive Cashflow podcasts found on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all of the such. But here, what we're going to be doing is going over the news headlines that I picked out over the past month that impacts investors. And if you guys are catching up these monthly installments and want to check out older ones, we put all this up on the website at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter, just in case you want to go back and see if I was lying at some point. And we've been doing this for at least a couple of years now, every single month. The first one here, this came from ESPN. Yes, the sports people. And the reason why I put this one in here is just shows people how the private equity capital raising works on the semi-institutional level. So the WNBA announced a $75 million capital raise to aid their growth strategy. They're probably going to use it to hire a lot of people, a lot of paid ads, $75 million to do that. It's it's really important for players to know that this investment in them is what they're saying. I don't know if I'd be investing in this one personally. Probably won't. I don't know if it's a good investment, but I just put this here just to show that a lot of this stuff happens without a lot of people knowing. So getting more into landlords news right here, six creative concessions that attract residents. You might want to use some of these in your rental properties. First one, upgrades to the property. This is a no-brainer. I just came back from Texas this morning. There, we're doing a lot of the flooring, appliances. One of the properties we're picking up already has a lot of that in of the black appliances. But maybe you might want to take it up the next level. So what we're doing there is granite countertops. There's already a backsplash in there. And I think these days, backsplashes aren't really new. These days are, to me, a whimsical upgrade. We're spending a few hundred bucks on upgraded windows as opposed to those kind of dingier aluminum type ones. And uh, we're also upgrading the sinks. 
But that's kind of number one. Number two, freebies included. So they're saying offering a free parking space, free Wi-Fi. Sometimes we'll do like amenity packages for higher end appliances. They're saying here in this article, this can be comped as such as a year as a concession. And that's if you're in this concession arena. At this point in the market cycle, not really, concessions are not a big thing at this point because the power is in the hands of the landlords, the property managers at this point. Number three, self-storage, being able to have your tenants being able to store their crap on the property. This is uh, a lot of renters carry a lot of things. When they got a lot of things, they tend to stay a little bit longer. They're, they're happier, perhaps. Uh, four, use smart devices for the thermostats such as that. We don't really put this in our apartments because we're more in the B and the C area. And if people are in the A class, I think they should just go buy their own high-end instead of just a, the regular price Alexa stuff, go for the high-end stuff. They should buy it. Where, I don't know. You're the landlord. You guys can run things however you guys want. Number five here, drop the pet fees. For us, I actually disagree with this. Pet fees are a huge revenue generator and they should be getting those fees on the pets at least 25 bucks a month, like 50 or 100 sometimes on those furry friends. And number six, move in incentives. Removing is stressful and expensive, so maybe take some weight off the renter's shoulders by providing them free moving truck services. I don't necessarily agree with all these, but these are just some ideas from the multi-housing news to share. Now let's get some insights into what some of the big boys are doing. This is this Howard Hughes. They're planning to invest $325 million in medical office and residential projects in Columbia, Maryland. And their vision for a progressive health and wellness district integrated into the core of a thriving city. And the strict master plan for Columbia was in response to that suburban sprawl that several American cities encountered in the 1950s and 1960s. The reason why I put this article in here was just to highlight medical offices. It's with the need of medical aging baby boomer population. Maybe you can think of it like a Walgreens triple net. I don't know if you really want to invest in a Walgreens, especially when you're in a hot market where the leases aren't as good. I've been talking a lot about this lately where the leases, your more sophisticated tenants, your corporate backed tenants, they're smart and they know that they're in an inflationary environment. And they can just walk on their lease if it makes sense. So a triple net, like a Walgreens, another idea just to throw out there is like these medical offices, like a dentist office, medical office, where you typically get higher square foot or price per square foot because the, the tenants are doctors or dentists and they tend to pay their rent more, be a little bit more fiscally responsible or recession proof, if you will. And they also make more revenue. So they can pay higher rents. Also, just another throw out another thing that the big guys are doing, Blackstone. They Snoop Dogg acquires Death Row Records brand from Blackstone. I'm sure Snoop Dogg just wanted to be a trophy collector on this one. Who knows? Maybe he has the ability to put in sweat equity based on his personal brand. I'm sure he does. Blackstone controlled that group previously. So that's Death Road Records from an arcade music group, which was controlled by private equity funds managed by leading global investment firm Blackstone. If you haven't heard of Blackstone, they're the biggest groups out there that do this. But there's hundreds of these types of private equity funds, all smaller than Blackstone. Getting back into multifamily market polarized by rent incomes. So some of the takeaways from here, the pandemic second year witnessed a robust rebound in rental housing demand, which reduced vacancies and propelled rents higher. Lack of forced inventory kept many higher income renters in their the same lower income folks who suffered the greatest COVID 
related job losses were also the most burden. So that was a little sad. The lower ends were the ones that are most impacted by the whole pandemic, as you've been saying many times. Business now reports that multifamily construction hits the highest level since 1974. And it's because the demand is there. And I think a lot of investors, you might see an article like this and say, if they're building so many, that means there's going to be too much. Not necessarily, right? Because if they're going to build something, they're going to build something that's A-class. And it's going to be a while until it starts to It'll never compete with your B and C class. If that's your investing thesis, which is personally mine, investing in workforce housing, which caters towards the glut of America's population. One thing that they said, it's unlikely this is overbuilding or that this will impact prices for multifamily construction delays are probably just a factor. The completion of these units should help with rent pressure a little bit. And I think that maybe I'll say it many times today, but that's the general theme. The economy growth is slowing down. It's not like that, that you're going to probably see all the news articles saying it's close, it's slowing down. The world's going to come to end. But key in on what I'm saying here, the growth is slowing down, but it's still growing, right? Let's not lose sight of that. It can't grow six, seven, eight percent year over year for multiple years in a row, which it, which it has. It just can't do that. It's going to probably teeter out at that nice 2 to 4%. Top 10 multifamily markets by units delivered in 2021. So what this means is where did they build the most stuff? So just going from the top to the bottom, Dallas, Houston, Miami, Austin, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., Orlando, Los Angeles, Charlotte, and Phoenix. Well, where you're seeing the most development of units coming up. So one of the things that they're citing here too, to read between the lines, a lot of these projects were slated to come in in 2020, obviously delayed by the onset of the pandemic, but mainly by mobility and job recovery induced demand. Other points here, multifamily demand remains strong, rising interest rates, a national labor shortage, evolving migration patterns and changes in renter preferences, labor shortages, raising prices, inflation rising rates, the labor shortage, the same thing over and over again. And on one one point on renter migration, renters that move to less expensive markets are able to pay more for rent because it seemed relatively cheap compared to the higher rent markets. It's like a lot of you guys came from California and then you're like, I'm going to buy a huge house out here in Texas for 450, which would probably be like a million or $2 million out there in California but you can afford it not when you go to somewhere cheaper. And if you're in California, I don't know why you're out there in the first place. You like to pay taxes. You like to pay $800. Eh, it has its good things too, though. And if you have the money, live in California. Anyway, New York weighs good cause eviction laws. Some of you guys might be upset at this whole thing. And these are always going to come from the more progressive states, such as New York, Oregon, Washington, California. Landlords who want to raise rents higher would have to justify those increases in court where they could be deemed unreasonable. Landlords and property managers say the legislation amounts to a form of rent control. Well, yeah, duh. They also say it limits landlords in which residents that choose to move and punishes good residents if they cannot evict a troublesome one. So this is a big thing, right? When we go into a new building, we always kick out the deadbeats. Seems a little heartless. But the utilitarianism in me is if the other 400 units are tired of the same dozen idiots that are playing their music too loud and bringing their unsavory friends around, they want them out too. So we're going to cater to what we want. (laughs) The majority of the tenants want to improve the community. Some people can probably look at that and be quote heartless 
landlord in the New York. This is what you're seeing that this is a uh, ground zero for rent control out there. Obviously, the main problem there is lack of affordability. But I would look at this. Generally, you don't want to invest in any of these blue states anyway, because you're going to run into all this type of stuff. And not to mention, you can't evict bad players or bad tenants in the first place. But you look to these more progressive states of where things are going in the future. I've been watching this one deal in Hawaii, this Oasis townhome. Finally peaked and went public. It was a 406 unit for some of you guys in Hawaii. If you guys went here, the pictures are amazing, but it's a ghetto in Hawaii if you ask my opinion. Even though like dangerous places in Hawaii isn't as nearly as dangerous as places in the mainland are. The difference is not they don't have guns here. But it's funny I saw this pop up, but yeah, the price per unit was just astronomical. The the only reason I was following this was because I was curious who was buying this. And if these are all big private equity firms that cater towards institutional operators or institutional investors that lazy money they can do whatever they want. But if I was worth hundred something million dollars, yeah, I'd probably buy some properties in California, Hawaii, New York, because it's a low cap rate. Probably thinking to myself, that's stupid. Why would you buy want to buy low cap rates? Low cap rates means that it is a more stable type of market. It's always going to be Hawaii. Actually, probably demand gets stronger as people are wanting to, are able to work remotely where, yeah, there's obviously I like to invest in like kind of the sweet spot places, you know, Texas, Arizona, Alabama, the places in the middle, but I won't go to these tertiary markets like Boise, Idaho, or these places, especially up in the north, like these, these 100, 200,000 population towns or less, they're really called tertiary, not T-E-R-T-U-R-D, like a ter- tertiary market. So you don't want to go to those types of places, even though you're going to have higher cap rates. But hey, you can try it out, see how it works for you. When you see a market cycle and the water retreats from those tertiary markets, and you're going to wish you were in a more secondary type of market that is, has that staying power. But we're going to start to dig into this Joint Center for Housing Studies, which is something I read a lot from the Harvard University. Some of their articles are very deep. Read. We're going to be going over the highlights from this one article, which was uh, first takeaways, rents climbed rapidly. Uh, even we're living under a rock. Rents dipped in the first year of the pandemic before resuming their race at a pace of 1.7% year over year in the first quarter of 2021. And then it rent hit an astonishing 10.9%. This was the fastest rate of growth in the CoStar's 20-year data series. Higher quality apartments led the way with rising rents of 13.8%. So what that means is the higher ends are the ones that the rents are increasing the most. And that makes sense, right? Because your higher end tenants didn't get as impacted or they probably were even stronger through the pandemic because they couldn't spend their damn money doing all their fun vacations and stuff like that, sporting events. And the clap, the lower end were hurt harder because they were the ones who unfortunately had to you know, maybe get unemployment, stuff like that. So that's why you're seeing the lower end. And that's why this, this chart shows the growth on the lower end, which is more of the F and D class type of apartments going up a little bit slower than the higher end. Same thing, vacancy rates and occupants or vacancy rates, occupancy kind of go inversely with the amount of rents. You have a lot of occupancy or low vacancy, that means demand. And when you have more demand, your rents go up or your prices. So vacancy rates hit 5.8% in the third quarter of 2021, down 6.6% in the first quarter of the year previous. So vacancy is going down. This is all signs of a very healthy 
sign, not for the renter, but for the landowner, the, the rental property owner. Rent demand surge, that's just taking the last two slides, the occupants of low vacancy and rents, that's essentially rental demand for the most part. Market has come overwhelmingly from higher income households, a trend that likely continued throughout the pandemic as skyrocketing home prices and low inventory put home ownership out of reach for many. And now with interest rates, that house that they want is slowly going away. They can't reach it. And this is why a lot of people have that false mentality of, I better buy a home now or I better buy a home for my kids because they'll never be able to afford it. Maybe they shouldn't. If, if you can't afford, affordability is a metric between the housing prices in relation to the interest rate. The lower the interest rates are, the more that you can afford. But that doesn't mean you should afford it in my opinion. You guys think that's right? Put a comment in there. Let me know. But you know, I don't think everybody should be buying a house to live in. I still rent. I'm cool. I'm doing all right. Uh, but I put my money into investments. And that's why I do things so that I live like people dream in the future. Number four here, multifamily construction boom. So this was echoed in the last article. Uh, even though construction is booming, new apartments are still being leased up at a faster pace. So what that is, that's called absorption, right? Like new inventory goes out there. Is it absorbed or do people fill it? We're in the process. We're just completing a, a brand new development build. And we have 12 months of leasing it up to uh, stabilization, 80, getting it up to 89%. So if you, you have better absorption rate, possibly we can do it a little bit quicker than that. But that's what we have estimated. But in a very low absorption rate, it might take longer. Apartment prices hit a new high. This is change, cl climate change poison, even greater threat. So they're talking about climate change, natural hazards, threatened millions of subsidized housing. That's your insurance right there. And insurance surges sometimes and it comes back down and surges. It goes up in a way. We're actually selling a couple apartments down there on, on the Gulf coastline where they just get hammered by hurricanes. And right now it's in that surging period. So it's killed the net operating uh, a little bit. I think that's a big misnomer. A lot of investors, they really freak out about the hurricanes, the floods, the tornado. I mean, it's not really a big deal. And I'll be sending out a, a bigger article on that here shortly. So make sure you guys get on the mailing list and you'll get that video and article about the ways to get around the system and when insurance claims can work on your side to the positive. And then other pandemic, and a lot of this is in the rear view mirror couple years, right? We had all these CDC orders that kind of starting to burn off. And now we're starting to really start to have things open up on the eviction side. A lot of the government assistance came out the last year and still running its way through this unprecedented amount of money printing. And I'm sure that will probably continue over and over again. Next article, the U-Haul report. So the U-Haul report tracks the the movement of more on the your budget, middle-class workforce housing type of tenant. I would say the majority of America, whereas the van lines are more for the, the higher-end white-collar workers. Who, somebody moves their stuff, not quite with a white glove service, but they tend to take care of your stuff more for you than the U-Haul. Or actually, they don't take care of it. They just put in an annoying claim that takes forever after. But the U-Haul is your do-it-yourself broke college kid or your first job and you're trying to do it and save money and walk away with the, the moving snipin. But anyway, the top 10 U-Haul growth states are Texas, Florida, Tennessee, 
South Carolina, Arizona, Indiana, Colorado, Maine, Idaho, New Mexico. A lot of growth coming from the East and the West Coast. People moving from California and New York. We see a lot of people moving from the Chicago markets. Nobody wants to be in Illinois, Chicago. Nobody wants everybody. They're like the Detroit of five, ten years ago. Everybody crapped on Detroit. I think everybody these days kind of Chicago. Nobody the population is going down and it's kind of like a blue state too. Here they're saying a lot of job growth and opportunity in other places. Cost of living is much lower. Texas open for business, where California remained the top state for outline. I'm sure Hawaii would be on that that for but I don't think Yuha moves people's stuff across the water. I think it's gotta be van line or just sell it all on Craigslist. I see always like moving sales in Hawaii. Commercial property executive reports to Exxon to move the headquarters to greater the headquarter relocation comes amidst internal restructuring, including plans to unite the company's chemical and downstream oil and gas segments. Oil and gas is getting good. I, I got some money in oil and gas. I think that's going to do better with the whole Russia thing is what I hear. But I try not to really, I don't really think about it too much. Um, I just did it for the taxes. The office vacancy rate through the Houston market continued to climb during 2021 and ended the year with a vacancy rate of 24.3, representing a 220 basis point increase year over year. And yeah, yesterday I checked out the Houston office building. I think she said it was 80% occupied. I think originally it was like 60, and that was in the middle of the pandemic. So yeah, it's exactly what this article is saying, exactly what the property management, property manager at the, at the property said. And then the van lines here. The van lines are, like I said, the more white collar, higher end movement. So the top inbound states are for 20, Vermont, South Dakota, South Carolina, West Virginia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, Oregon, Idaho. So I don't know how you guys want to make think of these. But these are your more higher end type of stuff where the U-Haul is more your budget. So that's some people, they based all their investing on the U-Haul and the van line report. But let's check out the van line out report. So number one, they're moving out of New Jersey, Illinois. See, I told you we keep Illinois, Chicago is right there. New York, Connecticut, California, Michigan, Massachusetts, Louisiana, Ohio, and Nebraska. A lot of people are doing the turnkeys out there in Ohio, Cleveland. But you look at the population, it's flat line going down. Not to say you can't make it work, but part of this is like investing with the trade winds behind Real page report what winter slowdown apartment occupancy climbs to push upward. Effective asking rents on new leases were up 15%. Occupancy was the greatest highest in coastal city. Occupancies leaders above 98% in some of these other markets like Providence, Anaheim, San Diego, Miami, Riverside, New York, Northern, New Jersey, Virginia Beach, Philadelphia, and Fort Lauderdale. A lot of those markets were more primary markets where you're expected to have that higher occupancy because of that. It is, there is more demand out there for that type of stuff. More affordable Sunbelt markets continue to dominate the leaderboard for new lease effective rent growth over the last 12 months. And those, to name a few, West Palm Beach, Tampa, Phoenix, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Austin, Las Vegas, Jacksonville, Miami, and Raleigh, Durham. Only large metro, which was Minneapolis, St. Paul at 4.9% registered effective asking rent growth below 8%. Yeah, so those are Minneapolis, St. Paul's not the, the greatest. Like Chicago, it's too freaking cold. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why Minnesota. It's too cold. 
I worked for the railroad for there one time, and I just remember the guys would come in with their like icicles, their mustaches just frozen like little icicles. I'm just thinking to myself, why would anybody want to live out here? It's too cold. But I get it. If your family's out there, that's one thing. I think that's why a lot of people move to Florida or places that are warmer down south. Sunbelt. Uh, apartment demand smashes previous record high by 66%. Demand for market rate apartments in 2021 soar far above the highest levels on record. Sunbelt and mountain desert re- regions combined to account for more than half the nation's apartment demand in 2021. Led by Dallas Fort Worth, 7.4% share of the U.S. Three major engines uh, of growing firing at the same time economic and job growth, housing demand, and in the case of fast growing cities in migration. There is no fear that a significant percentage of low and moderate income households, including those on fixed incomes, will be experiment- experiencing significant challenges in terms of housing affordability. Uh, Ari Business Online reports apartment investment expected to thrive through inflation. And here, there's a little chart from Marcus and Millichap. You can see where different sectors of commercial real estate are a little bit hotter than others. Uh, if you're checking this out on the YouTube channel, I'm going to stop here. You know, there, and I quote, it's difficult for historical apartment investors to believe that Cap rates have hit below 4% in most major markets. Some investors say that the recap is the new forecap, but the smart money that's going into the space is betting on growth. But that's, this is the difference between if you're a buy and hold and pray investor, we're not doing jack to the property. What your cap rates are and what your interest rates are, are very important. But if you're in the value add game, it's very different. You actually have more of a cavalier attitude. We really don't really care what those initials values are. Because the way you're making money is by doing the force appreciation component. As low-cost units become increasingly scarce, low and moderate income earners are losing access to many neighborhood. These are yeah, these are kind of the un- unfortunate social things that come out of all this type of stuff. America's rental housing in 2022, the loss of low-cost rental housing units is making it increasingly difficult for low and moderate income renters to find affordable housing. Whether due to rising costs, conversions out of the rental stock, or demolition, the report tells us that the number of units renting for less than $600 fell by 3.0 million between 2011 and 2019. Part of this, duh, it's like inflation. It's a strange, that seems like a manufactured statistic, dumb statistic to me. But yeah, you, you can't find stuff that's 500 bucks a day these days. I think the cheapest unit we've ever bought rented in the 400s. But now, yeah, you, you just don't find that type of stuff anymore. Now the 400, the 550s are like the new 400s. Again, probably just due to inflation. Maybe I'm just getting old. So the, the loss of low rent units not being replaced by new construction, policymakers must make increasingly efforts to not only replace units lost and increase the supply of low-cost housing, but also preserve and restore access to local high quality neighborhoods so that every household has a chance for opportunity. Unfortunately, a lot of like your developers, the money coming in, it just it makes more sense for them if they're gonna build something to build it class A for more of that type of stuff. So this is where it's underserved demand is the low to end it all. The preceding offers general personal finance information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor's situation is unique. Always seek the services of professional tax and legal advisors before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed, and in every investment there is risk.